Good morning. Welcome to Secret to My Success. My name is Alan Bornstein, and I'm here with... Luis Alasea. Good morning, everyone. Happy to be here once again in this beautiful, beautiful morning. So we are here to talk to business owners about their journey, their venture, how they went from being employed by somebody to being self-employed. Luis brought some amazing guests in here that have played professional sports, football, baseball. Football, baseball, uh, basketball, and uh, golf. We've had some wonderful people, and this is about learning their secret to their success to help you grow your business. Thanks for being here with us this morning. We're so glad you could be here. If you have an interesting story, if you know somebody that you think we should be talking to you, we'd like to hear from you. You can reach me, Alan, 561-953-2007 at extension 101. Once again, my name is Alan. Secret to my success, 561-953-2007, extension 101. Please call us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Good morning. This is Alan, Secret to my success, here with Louie. Hello, hello. How are you? And Dawn. Good morning. Dawn, that's up hot hat. You like my fedora? I'm I tell you fedora. what, I, can, I didn't even recognize it when she walked into it. I'm like, whoa, what is this? What did you got here? If she had a tie, she'd look like Frank right behind her. Oh, is it that? Is thank that you. the same one? That, thank you. That's the same fedora. <laughs> that's your look all the way. Yes. Fedora. Yeah, that's hot. Now, let me ask you, were you wearing a hat like that when you were driving a Harley? No. It would fly off. Oh, really? It will, will stay. But that's a, that's a neck breaker kind of hat, you know, like. Really? Hey, Turn? Exactly. That? That, yeah, smoking. You're looking good, Don. Thank you. Okay, so we have a wonderful guest. His name is Alex Barry. Barry, say something good. Say something good. Um, Go Red Sox. Red Sox, and how about Tom Brady? How's that? Love it. That's a good way to start. Yeah, with the announcement of his retirement, I've been saying that Ben Roethlisberger's coming back for another year. Nah, 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 nah. And, well, and, and I want you to think about this. They're going to put him in the Hall of Fame. Tom's going to be up there. Ben's going to be up there. They're going to be taking a bunch of pictures, and they say, hey, Ben, could you step aside? We want a picture with Tom. <laughs> what I don't Talk understand about living is, in the shadows, right? What I don't right. understand is how that information leaked out two days prior to his announcement. I mean, think about it. Something like that you would always probably say to your wife or someone very close, and how does that leak out? That's what I don't get. Right? It's media, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Somebody's always looking for something. Got those microphones exactly. going through the walls, you know. Right? Exactly. So let's talk about something more interesting. We're going to talk about Alex Berry. So, Alex, it's interesting to me that we're friends on Facebook, and I see you at the coolest events here in Palm Beach. Tell us what you do. Well, for starters, um, I've just been in the uh, television and media uh, industry for Gosh, uh, should I date myself, Alan? I don't know. Would that even be appropriate? Um, but for a long time, as long as I can remember. Like black and white say, TV? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, let's just say that Clinton was president when uh, when I got sort of started in my uh, original career here that I, I'm continuing to do now. But oh, hold on. Let me, let me hear it. Let me hear your best Clinton. Give it to me. What do you got? <laughs> I, it's like a, uh, I, I, did I did not, not have that. sexual relations with that boy. I, I'm not a good I swear to God, God, it wasn't I me. God, I didn't I did do it. Do it. <laughs> uh, I'm not really looking for anyone with a blue dress to speak with anymore in my life. I, I swear um, to God, I did so, not have a sexual relationship with that woman. I didn't do that's it. Right. <laughs> but I love the yeah, cigar. But, uh, but no, I, I basically got started <laughs> in TV production, and um, I worked for the local NBC affiliate uh, here in West Palm as a cameraman uh, for Jim Sackett and Laurel Sauer, if you remember those days. And, um, you know, I knew all the, all the kind of 
the TV production people and basically did local, you know, network news, local news here for the, uh, for the network. And then that sort of sprung off more into sales. Um, and since then, I've been working uh, since around the mid-90s. I've been working for independent TV production companies that have their own little brands. And uh, I basically um, sell those to corporate America, and we make uh, those kinds of of videos. Uh, but having been um, a car guy my whole life, one of my friends and partners from one of those businesses said, hey, let's let's do something in the world of, oh, actually, what he was doing was he, he was building an electric car in his house. And I just couldn't believe that there was a guy in Boca Raton who was able to build his own electric car in his house. And it was beautiful. It was sexy looking. It looked like a Ford GT40. Um, it it would have it had a range of like 95 miles and it cost him two dollars and 73 cents to fill up his electric tank to go that 90 93 miles so um we decided to cr- try to create something called the high voltage hot rods um which was both a tv show that we were pitching to the history channel as well as um a garage where we would take older cars uh we did build one corvair an old 66 uh, Chevrolet Corvair, and converted it to an electric vehicle. Was, so, was he doing this? Alex, was he doing right. this with uh, FAU down there in Boca? Yeah, he did. He had a lot of projects with FAU, as a matter of fact. Yeah. My, my uh, son worked on that electric car. No kidding. Seriously. Wow. This yeah. Is, this, is, this is not a setup, folks. I really did not know this about Alan. But so, that's, uh, so my son, is he, he graduated from there. He's an engineer, and now he works for Ford. And he's working on autonomous vehicles. But he worked on, it was like a little blue, uh, I mean, it was pretty cool, but that car was fast. Yes, it was blue. That is the same one. And my business partner, his son, um, also graduated with engineering. And he's now working for the electric car company called Rivian. Yes. Um, and so he, he's helping build electric trucks right now. So hmm. kind of an interesting thing. So anyway, that market seemed to be very much of a sliver, and we just weren't getting much traction or good response. So we thought, why just make it around electric? Let's just, you know, people love talking about their cars. And um, South Florida is such a rich, you know, uh, car culture. So we created something called Car Show Television, which ran from 2013 to about 2018, um, all over uh, the South Florida market um, on WHDT, which was the first digital station in the United States, and we were syndicated in about 14 or 15 other markets. So um, anyway, it was a blast. We got to know everybody who was anyone in the car world, and um, to this day, I still apparently have enough cachet to get into uh, you know pretty much any of the car events that are around South Florida, even though we haven't produced a stitch of film in uh you know whatever four years so <laughs> but it's, it's a fun ride and i still love the cars and the people alex it's pretty interesting that you're a guy that had a face behind the camera and you stepped in front of it and they still accepted you yeah because uh, <laughs> as uh, as everyone in media knows i've got a face for radio right mm-hmm. hey wait a minute that's my line don keeps telling me that as well yeah i think, I think that's so. i think that's like david sarnoff's line from uh, nbc back in the 30s so anyway Okay. So the name of your company, Agent K Enterprises? Yes, Agent K Enterprises. It's a little simple uh, sub-S corporation. It's named after my twin daughters who were born uh, a couple of years before I started that company. You named them Agent? Uh, Yeah, I named them Agent. No, it's H ampersand K, Hannah and Kendall, H and K Enterprise. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's what it is. But uh, but and all all it is is a sales organization. I used to have as many as eighteen employees, but now it's just me because I've reached an age, Alan, where I'm just not interested in babysitting employees. And uh, I can control the quality of what the sales process is better with just me than with, you know, multiple other people. Makes sense? A lot of sense. So, yeah. actually, you figured out how to take this passion and turn it into profit, correct? Yes, I did. Yep, that's right. Okay. So, anyway, like I say, broadcasting media, that's what I went to school for at University of Florida. Um, and uh, I, I always wanted I love the idea because my father was a nationally syndicated newspaper cartoonists and for all of you out there listening that don't know what a newspaper is uh, the newspaper used to be is to the internet what the internet is to the internet today in other words the newspaper was the internet back then so kind of like what um, facebook is to twitter right it was a highly influential everyone knew about you know the wizard of id and, and peanuts and bc and hagar the horrible and all these different um cartoons and my father produced something called Barry's World, which was syndicated at its peak at about 800 newspapers across the world. Um, he had a, a illustrious 41-year career. But what I loved about um, him was that he was able to merge this creativity because he wrote and he, he, he was the, the author and the drawer, the illustrator of his own work. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to kind of merge creativity and commerce? And so... My job consists of coming up with what I think are topical, interesting ideas. Um, for example, I'm doing a story, uh, a series right now on best business practices post-COVID. Um, and so I go out and I find people that are doing something that are specifically reacting to the post-COVID world. For example, what we're doing right now, having a radio show over a phone or how none of us knew what Zoom was, you know, uh, two years ago. Now it's right. part of our modern lexicon. So how are businesses sharpening their knives, tightening their belts, making themselves more efficient? So I go out and I find those businesses, and I have a, a brief qualification procedure, and then I explain what we do, including how the partnership would work financially. And um, I receive a, a, a commission from that. And uh they get great video with a major movie star, and um, you know we get to tell the story one time through one company's eyes, and and the viewer gets to hear something that the regular ambulance chasing media isn't normally telling them. So that's kind of my, in a nutshell, that's pretty much what I do. Alex, how did you transition from being paid working for a television station, doing all kinds of stuff, probably working some crazy hours, some overtime? I'm sure you did well to being in. I am going to hunt and kill what I plan on eating. Well, uh, it took a lot of drugs, Alan. No, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, now, actually, you know what? I, I, um, I'd always sort of uh, thought of myself. I mean, I remember going into, I'm not going to name names, but it was the major, major network station in West Palm Beach. Um, and when you're the number one station, they always told new recruits, well, but you're making less money because you're working for number one, and that's going to look better on your resume. And it got to the point where I started to realize there are all these colleges all over the country that are churning out all these broadcast and journalism, we call it J-School students, that are all looking for the same low-paying jobs. And I was realizing, wow. You know, here I am holding the camera on a live newscast in a in the number 51 market in the country. And if I sneeze and Jim Sackett or Laurel Sauer goes off camera, it's no big deal. You know, that that's that's kind of like a 
that's the consequences of that. Whereas I could have been working at McDonald's, eating well and having better benefits and making more money. So uh, it just occurred to me that um, you know the more I kind of got into broadcast and journalism, the, the, the more I realized the money is not in production. The money is in sales. The money is in making it rain. And, um, you know, I just used the uh, what I call my Alan Bornstein gift of gab. And the next thing you know, uh, I'm making big commissions and uh, I never look back. So it's that. been a fun ride mm-hmm. since the mid 90s. And um, last year I had the best year I've ever had. And I probably work, I don't know, 15 hours a week, something like that. So it's uh, you just it's just, you know, it's rifle shooting. You know, it's, it's, it's not a scatter shot. I just I pick my I pick my battles that I know I can win. I go in, I win them and then I go to the beach. Nice. nice. So do you have a, a website to where it's so we can go and check out everything that you've created? Yeah, the Car Show TV website has been disabled. I think it might still be there at carshowtv.com, but if you go if you go to YouTube, you can see a lot of uh, car show television. Um, there's a lot of we did 51 half hour episodes. Um, the reason that shut down is it never really made an awful lot of money. Um, the current project I'm working on now is um, a TV show that's uh, very designed to be a very niche, um, uh, interstitial type of show. That means these are standalone segments. Um, it's called Viewpoint. The website is viewpointproject.com. Uh, and it's hosted by the movie actor Dennis Quaid, who's currently playing um, the uh, the coat in the in the movie about American Underdog, um, about the Kurt Warner story from the Rams, who are ironically now going to the Super Bowl. He played. Uh, I'm sorry. What was the former great coach of the Eagles that coached the Rams to that Super Bowl in 2000? Alan, you should know that. It's <laughs> not Dick Vermeil. It is Dick Vermeil. Get it out is. of here! I'm just thinking about yeah. him from the movie Invincible. Right, right. No, 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 no. It's, it's, um, so it was, uh, so that's really what's going on right now. And, um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, check that out. It's not really for everybody. We don't just, it's not open for sale to anybody. It's really more of a, you know, by selection and by invitation only type of a thing. So, uh, but it's, it's a very boutique, unusual business that, uh, I've done very well with. And, um, you know, it allows me to play tennis on Monday nights with Alan whenever I get asked to stuff. So were you on last night? So are you doing the production of these? You're doing the sales and the production, or do you hire that out? Just curious. Um, we have an entire production company in Boca Raton that has about um, 70 employees, um, and all the production is done in-house. Um, if we do, if we get more business than we know what to do with, then we outsource and we find freelance production people. But uh, the core of it is really sort of a a team of associate producers, which is more on the front end, which does storyline development and then scheduling, which of course involves sales. Um, and so that's, I'd say there's at least half the company is doing that. We so, got something, we got um, something I'm sort of the crusty old veteran of the group. You said it. I didn't, I didn't, I've never called <laughs> you old. So, so let me that's ask you, right. Louis, Louis and I want to know, have you ever done any feature movies? Um, no, I haven't done that. Um, it's it, it hasn't been. You know, t- that's a sort of a very different beast, and it's a very different animal. Um, but uh, not to say that I wouldn't be interested in that in some Would way, shape, or form. You know, certainly like be on the table. But I, I haven't done it as of yet. So l- let me ask you a question, Dennis Quaid. Does he actually take your call? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he doesn't know Adam. Because yeah. Dennis Quaid was in a movie called The Rookie, which was supposed to be the motivational factor for anybody who's trying to get into baseball about that uh, teacher Morris. Yeah. Who uh, yeah. 
who actually was a, a school teacher and he made it to the majors. And it's actually pretty funny because in the movie they had a debut of him pitching. Well, the team that he was pitching against was a team that Louie actually played. Rangers. Wow. He came. Um, I was actually, I was the fourth batter in that inning, and he actually went through the one through three, and then I actually stayed with a bat on my shoulders on, on deck looking. I wanted to face him. He you're kidding. Guy with, wow. Big guy with gray hair, thrown pretty hard, so I was like, I want to face this guy. And you were telling me that all the batters kept coming back to you saying, holy crap, that guy can throw the ball. That guy throws hard, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you need to schedule time. You need to talk to Dennis. When can you make that happen for us? <laughs> Anytime. As soon as he hears your name, Alan, I know he'll yeah. his, his agent and he will drop everything he needs. So Listen, do, if anybody can get to anybody, if anybody can get to anybody, Alan can. I can vouch for that. That's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. So we'll yeah. talk about that offline. But let me ask you a question, Alex. Seriously, talk about the trials, tribulations you had to go through in order to get to where you are. It's nice that you have gotten to that point that you can work 15 hours a week, but that has not always been the case. I'm sure you no, were humping it, it in order to make this work. You know, of course, like anyone else, you all have to pay your dues. And like anyone else, you know, before I was able to kind of, you know, reach for any kind of big brass ring in terms of, you know, financial reward, you know, you end up making a lot of other people rich first because they're the ones training you. They're the ones that are sort of taking a risk on you. Um, you know, in the early days, there was, you know, there was salary uh, against commission. There were a lot of gunslingers. Um, the industry was really unregulated, so it didn't have a very good reputation um, back in the early, early days. Um, it, and then when the Internet came out and um, Google came out, it started to weed out all the more unsavory characters and is now uh, up and up and completely legitimate. You know, there's nobody that's left that's doing anything other than good work. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I had to do all the, the boring, repetitive 8 o'clock meetings um, when I hung my shingle out 20 years ago, um, yeah, I had to, I had to train people. Um, it's tough being an entrepreneur. I mean, when you get in there, um, you know, they get, they get paid every two weeks and that comes out of my payroll. And if there's anything left over, I can pay me and my kids. But if there isn't, I have to, you know, borrow from Peter to pay Paul and hope that the next two weeks yields more results. Um, and so, you know, we had some really, really, really good months. And then we had some months where, you know, yeah, I had to move the shells around just to meet payroll. So, um, you know, when people see success, they think, oh, well, it's easy for you. you know, no, it, it's a long, hard crawl. Um, uh, what is the ACDC song? It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, right? <laughs> so um, same thing in business. you got to pay your dues, and um, I don't care who you are. Uh, if you've made any success of yourself, you're going to have some bumps and scrapes along the way. I did a lot of babysitting. I had to deal with a lot of, you know, uh, management, human uh, uh, HR type stuff, which is not my specialty. And so you learn to be sort of a jack of all trades. And, and uh, that's what it takes. If you want to, you want to be successful, you've got to be able to willing, be willing to do what it takes and, and put in the hours. So, so was it know. Steve Jobs who once said, do something because you're passionate about it, as opposed to trying to start a business just to make money? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there's and there's the old adage, which, you know, do what you love and the money will come. That can be a little bit misleading, I think. But, you know, the reality is, is just, you know, take the, the toolkit that whatever your spiritual belief is that was left at your feet, whoever gave you the skills that you have, take those and turn that into something unique. Um, and, and guess what? Try it. If you fail, you fail. No problem. You know what I mean? Then you just go back. What have you got to lose? You just go back to doing what you were doing before anyway. Actually, what did you but learn? 
Forget about what yeah. you have to lose. What'd you learn? Because if you don't you, learn from your mistakes, you're you're gonna right. fail. But my, my, what I'm saying is, if you don't at least try to chase after those dreams, whatever they may be, you're always gonna regret not having done it. You you don't want to be in a rocking chair later on saying, you know, back when I was blah blah blah, I really should have gone and tried the thing that I was really passionate about. You know, you you gotta you gotta go out and take risks. You gotta go out and take chances. That's my recommendation. Alex, you're saying the same thing that I always said. Most of us don't regret the things that we did we regret the things that we don't do you hear that don we regret the things we don't do (laughs) i hear you alan i hear you you hear 100 percent. i'm talking about things though not people just saying (laughs) (laughs) and i'm so glad you didn't chase your passion of things that you love to do called sex trying to make money on it alex because that would have been a problem business hasn't been very good in that department (laughs) alex we can't thank you enough for being here you're a good man you're probably a better man then you're a tennis player, but you're a really good guy. Well, that's the, that's an easy one, Alan. But, but that's a that's a that's the best backhanded compliment I've gotten all day long, and I really enjoyed chatting with you you guys, all of you, and uh, uh, what a treat it was to be a part of the show. And I'm a big fan of uh, Legends and uh, Dick Robinson Entertainment and the whole gang. So. When it comes to health coverage, you want solid value from a trustworthy company you can rely on. Florida Blue offers Medicare Advantage plans that can help you get more out of your health coverage. And don't you want more? Call Apple Insurance, your local agency for Florida Blue, at 888-MY-BLUE-8 to have all your Medicare questions answered and learn about different options. Don't settle for less than the value and stability Florida Blue has delivered throughout the state of Florida to Medicare beneficiaries for more than 25 years. Value, security, knowledge, and trust. Blue Medicare from Florida Blue means more. Call Apple Insurance at 888-MY-BLUE-8 today to speak to a licensed agent about your Medicare Advantage options. That's 888-MY-BLUE-8. Apple Insurance and Florida Blue. Call 888-MY-BLUE-8 today. Florida Blue is an independent license of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Welcome to Secret to My Success. This is Alan with my co-host, Louie. Hello, hello. Dawn. Hello. That was it. That was it. Nothing else. How about you, Louie? Got anything good for me? Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Isn't it so much nicer being here at after 8 a.m. than prior to 6 a.m.? Much, yeah, much better. Much better. Much better. sleeping a little longer. No hangover, Louie, right? No hangovers. Good. How about you, Don? No. No it, hangover. It can't be a hangover if you're still drunk. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. Partying on a Monday night. Partying on a Monday night. Yes. So, that would be a long hangover. Anyway, so... We have with us Greg, Greg Lewis from Tropical Landscaping. Greg, say something fun, exciting, and interesting. Love plants. Hello, this is Greg with Tropical Landscaping. <laughs> yeah, you can do like better. putting you on the spot and giving someone a heads up, right, to come up with something. I know, but right. Im- like impromptu is better. Impromptu, yeah. Yes. So, landscaping. You know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I bought my first lawnmower when I was 10 years old. Guy wanted 20 bucks. I convinced him to give me the lawnmower for $10. And then I actually started cutting lawns because my folks wouldn't let me use their lawnmower. Nice. And when we were in high school, a bunch of my buddies went out and bought. The big thing back then was a 42-inch bunton. Have you ever heard of those? Probably not. A bunton lawnmower? Supposed to be, like, super expensive. And everybody kind of laughed at these guys that were trying to become landscapers up in Connecticut because they got to work for, like, four months out of the year. And now... Oh, you gotta get a, you got to get a snow shovel, too, a snow plow. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And now they're actually... 
you know, plowing roofs. I never heard of that. I never would have dreamed of getting on somebody's roof and shoveling it so that the weight doesn't come through the house. But so you've made a living out of cutting people's lawns, but it's a little more than that. It's a little more than that. Yeah. Right. Talk to Uh, us about you. Tell me, how did you, it's a family business. How did you get in? When did you get in? So it is a little bit different than landscaping in Connecticut. Uh, South Florida is a year-round business. And, um, yes, we do uh, – we specialize in commercial landscaping. So my father, funny enough, he actually was in Maryland and visiting uh, some friends down in South Florida that had a, uh, let's see, a landscape nursery with plants. And, you know, it was January. And he's like, it was like 75 degrees out. And he's like, this is, this is pretty amazing. So he literally drove back, grabbed his stuff and moved to South Florida. And then, um, eventually got into the landscape business, um, started in 1981 and he had a couple guys that were, you know, doing the sales for him and he would do all the work. And then one day they came to him and said, Hey, we're switching uh, industries. Would you like all these accounts? And so he was gifted basically all these uh, commercial accounts at the time. It was probably like, you know, 15 accounts. And um, so, yeah, so he uh, got it up and running from there, just hired a crew and uh, the rest is history. He basically just uh, took it from there and started running with it. And um, at that time, you know, commercial landscaping wasn't that big of an industry. Now there's, you know, you'll see hundreds of trucks on your way to work or anywhere you drive on 95. And, um, you know, it's, it's become a, a really big industry in South Florida. Yes. I, I got to ask you, um, how do you compete? I mean, what do you do to get earn the jobs or, you know, all the, all the work from so many different companies? Because I know one of the largest ones is, you know, I, I'm not going to mention the name, but uh, um, my question to you is how can you, how do you, what do you need to do to earn, you know, the business of a company when there's so many competitors out there? Yes, there's a lot of competition, especially in South Florida. Um, we drive on our excellent customer service. Our, um, we, we've been in this business since 1981, and we know all the ins and outs. We meet a lot of property managers um, and just, I guess, a lot of referrals from our own existing customers, like the word of mouth. Um, we've won several awards for um, different communities that we've done. And, um, you know, business parks in, down in Boca Raton that our properties have won certain, like, landscape awards for that park. And then um, through that, just people want to know who we are. And then we basically um, do, you know, work our sales off of that. So, Greg, let me ask you. In 1981, you were how old? One. <laughs> okay. So you're one years uh, old, right? Did you actually do some work or have another job before you came back into this business no i did i literally grew up in the business so when i was in high school kind of like you you're you know landscaping i was uh doing the same thing but working for my dad and um you know it was a hundred and something degrees out or the field like temperature was at least and (laughs) just cooking in the sun um but uh yeah so i after college i had a couple different jobs and then i was working as a uh mortgage uh funding company at a mortgage funding company and i was working in an office and doing a lot of like you know sales calls and going to meet with like realtors and stuff like that and i basically felt even though i had my own office and it, it was a nice office and everything it was just felt like the walls were closing in on me it was just too uh i, I didn't like the office setting i just like to be out in doing what i 
you know, grew up doing, which was landscaping, and just um, felt like that was where my passion was and just enjoyed meeting people every day and, um, you know, making them happy with, uh, you know, coming into a situation and turning it around and making it a good, positive uh, outcome. Greg, tell the world how many children you have. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have six children. Oh Six children. First Stop of all, they know what causes that. You could stop it, right? We we like what causes it. Okay, good, good, good. So of your six children, tell me which one of your six little ones are going to be involved in your landscaping business? Oh, man. Uh, hopefully all of them. There's there's a lot of different dynamics in the uh, the industry now. There's, uh, you know, tree work, irrigation, fertilization. All Each one of those is like could be its own independent uh, company and then landscape installation, landscape maintenance. So, um, I mean, literally we could just specialize in each individual, one of, you know, those industries and just, uh, start an offshoot from, from there, from our you know, original brand of tropical landscape. What's, what difficulties do you encounter? I'd say, I wouldn't say daily, but I mean, what, what one of the most difficult things to get into the business or challenges difficult things that we encounter? Um, so some of the challenges that we face, I mean, like when I bought the company from my father, I didn't know anything about, you know, the, the book end of it, like the accounting, the payroll, insurance, workman's comp, any of that. Actually, Alan with Workgroup Payroll, he's helped me out a lot with handling a lot of that stuff, the payroll, the insurance, the workman's comp. And he, he it's been a tremendous asset to our company because um, he, you know, I like the landscape. I don't like to do the accounting part of the thing. So, he, he took over a lot of that uh, headache and stress that I wasn't um, proficient in, and uh, he's, he's helped me out a lot with that. Um, what we're running into now is, you know, there are a lot of companies out there, um, and we're trying to stay competitive with our pricing and, you know, to win the jobs. You have to have a good price to get in there and, you know, sell them on the, our quality of work. Um, but, you know, costs you know, gasoline, different things have gone up. Uh, payroll has gone up tremendously. And now uh, minimum wage is going to be, you know, $15 an hour. So that's uh, basically driving up the price of everything. So, um, yeah, we're just uh, working on, on keeping our cost uh, competitive because we don't like to raise rates on our customers. And most of our customers have been with us for over, you know, five, ten years. Um, it's rare that we'll you know, lose a customer within, a, you know, those, those couple of years. And mostly it's because of turnover of, you know, they have a new property manager that'll come in and they have their own landscaper or somebody that they've worked with in the past. So, Greg, I got to um, believe it's easier for you on commercial accounts because most commercial accounts require that you are legit, that you have all the insurances, that you have workers comp, that you have everything. Whereas a homeowner probably is like, eh, I don't care. And there's right. a lot of companies out there that, are not hiring and paying taxes legally and not doing the things that they should be, which makes it a little bit cheaper for them. It's got to be super hard to compete in that residential marketplace against those folks that cut corners. Right. No, absolutely. Um, yes, that that is a, a, a big factor. And I mean, believe it or not, there's some commercial, you know, property managers out there. They, for whatever reason, they don't check that stuff. Um, and then that, you know, comes, it can end up you know, biting them in the, in the end there. But, um, yeah, we, we do have that, uh, commercial niche where we have all the right insurances and, uh, you know, workers comp. And so it, it, that definitely does help, but there, there's a lot more players in the game now, you know? So, um, it, it is pretty competitive out there. 
Give me an example of a bad customer. Example of a bad customer. Oh. One that doesn't we, pay. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say, we, we, we have Doesn't pay and complain, right? In a while now, and we're, we're actually having to, you know, we don't like to do this, but we're having to file, like, a lawsuit against them because we continue to do the work. They never told us any different, and they never canceled our contract, anything. And literally, we've tried to contact them, and they never respond. So the people that don't respond, the people that, um, I guess... The one a bad customer would be somebody that like tells you you're doing a great job to your face, and then tells the board something completely different, and then try is trying to undermine you, you know, something like that. Because we've we've run into all kinds of scenarios, especially in South Florida. Um, we got all kinds of you know condo commando people that we work with. So, <laughs> um, but most of our customers, we don't we we don't have too many of those. We've had a lot of great customers over the years, and. Um, been really happy working with uh you know the the clientele that we've had and and just uh, had a great great experience so far greg i used to be an hoa president for way too many years 15 years i'll never forget i had this landscaper we did a lot of work with uh long before i met you he did a great job and one of my board members says let's put it out for bid i'm like the guy hasn't raised his rates in how long and we're going to reward him by putting it out for a bid and then they were looking for annuals and they said let's get somebody else to give us mm-hmm. a quote on the annuals. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we're going to hire somebody else to put annuals in. Our landscaper, who I'm committed to, is never going to leave us. And when the annuals die, who do we blame? Right. And there's a problem. I mean, you got to be committed. It's a conflict. It's a, yeah, it's a conflict of interest because then you have too many hands in the pot doing different things. So, uh, yes, and that's, that's the same, same drive that we have is, you know, we don't like to raise our rates on our clients. We always are very proactive and responsive to um, anything that they need. Um, so if they give me a, you know, a phone call, we try to handle it within the next day and um, try to make sure that our clients are satisfied with the work that we do. Um, and, you know, hopefully we don't have those lingering board members that, you know, they just like to price it out every year just to see if they're, you know, saving a, a penny or two, you know. Got a question. Um I'm on the board right now where, where I live and um, obviously learned a lot about a lot of different things that, you know, in, are involved with the, with the community. But uh, one of our last presidents uh, in the past had, I think he made a mistake because he actually put bamboos and bamboos are kind of like messy and they grow and they can't really get rid of them. And, you know, we're, we're having to fight, um, you know, the companies to come in and trying to get rid of them because they're hard to get rid of. What advice would you give, you know, uh, or which way would you direct the? Uh, let's say I want a bamboo, and you say no, I, I, w- I won't recommend that. I mean, how do you how do you handle that situation? So you're you're trying to put in a plant, and your landscaper is recommending a different plant. Yes, I mean, and it happens that the plant becomes a nuisance, and you got to pay to get it out. Do you give advice to the, you know, sometimes the president don't really have the experience and, and they don't really know, but they they like this plan because it looks beautiful, but there's a right. problem with it later on. Right. They don't know, yeah. like, all the upkeep and what it takes yes. to keep it together. The maintenance yeah. and everything, like, yes, right. Yeah, there's several plants that, I mean, that's, that's a very common issue, especially in South Florida, because there's so many people from up north that come down and like, oh, we want to put this plant here because it looks so beautiful in, you know, New Jersey. I'm like, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't New Jersey, um, <laughs> totally different climate. Um, so, yes, we try to, you know, convey to them the benefits of the plants that, you know, do well here in South Florida that either are native to South Florida or, 
um, just thrive in this climate and um, that don't require a lot of, you know, maintenance, maintenance fertilization, pest control, um, because there are, you know, several plants that you can, you know, put out there and keep on the, uh, you know, life support and just, you know, keep feeding them every month, keep treating them. But, I mean, that gets real expensive, you know. So, you know, I try to lay it out like that as, a, as an expense, you know, cost to them. You know, this is going to cost you in the long run a whole lot more than, you know, putting in one of these other plants that a lot less maintenance. It's going to look better. Um, but, but things change. Years ago, everybody wanted a ficus hedge. Oh, it's cheap. It's quick. They grow really fast. But the root systems suck and create all right. kinds of problems. Like, they break would, the walls, the sidewalks. Right. Would you put a ficus right. hedge in somewhere? No, we don't. We don't put any ficus. In. We can't even get ficus anymore in South Florida because they got a different white fly. They got a different. Um, they got a different so, one that has a big. I don't know the name. It's got like a big leaf. Lucia? Yes, that's what you put in front of my house, isn't it? Yes. Oh yeah. Yep. Came Those out awesome. And that, what is it called? Yeah, Clusia. 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 They're pretty. Clusia. They're pretty much bulletproof. Um, they're a great plant for South Florida. They they grow like a nice thick hedge. If you want privacy or screening yes. of any kind, um, it'll definitely give you that. And it, and it doesn't look pretty, messy. Pretty quick. No, they're clean. Okay. And doesn't look messy. And I don't know how is the maintenance on those things in, in terms of trimming them all the time. Is that heavy or no? I'm sorry. What you that? have to do a lot of trimming on them or no? Trimming? Yes. Um, I would say every month. Yes, you have to trim them like once a month. Uh, this time of year, every like two months. They don't grow. Um, but in the summer, in the summer, it's every yeah once a month. Every thirty yeah about thirty days. Yeah. So, Greg, we've been making national news now. Everybody's talking about the uh, iguanas falling out of their trees dead. Uh-huh. So do you have clients calling <laughs> you up saying, hey, uh, I got some dead iguanas on my property. Make some soup out of them. You like that, don't you? I've had we it. It's good. So <laughs> yeah, when you get iguanas, could you give them to Louis? Absolutely. I wouldn't go that far, but... Especially on the intercoastal that have uh, iguanas. But they don't die. They come back to life. Yeah, they come back to life. They come back to life. They don't die. It was a couple years ago when we had a... Unless they break their necks. it was like a like April or something, when we had some weather that got down in the 20s, and the iguanas literally fell out of the trees, and, you know, they're on the ground. And I was, I was about to throw it away, and then it just came back to life. <laughs> it came back to life and ran away. So I was like, all right. Um, so they, yeah, they'll, they'll freeze for, you know, until the sun hits them and warms them back up, and then they uh, they come back to life. Look, I, I, <laughs> I grew up in Puerto Rico, and like, let's say we have iguanas over there, and every once in a while it's sunny out, and all of a sudden we have this sun shower comes through. And you can actually, my that, that used to lasso them and just play with them like like a little pet, and then all of a sudden let them move. Oh because, yeah, because they just can't even move. They'd like be like really really slow. Like, oh. is that what your crew's doing there with these things out there now, Greg? <laughs> Playing with them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, no. We're, I mean, we actually don't do too much with the iguanas because um, some. I mean, yes, a lot of properties it's a nuisance, but um, a lot of the people don't want us to do anything with them they just say because they're you know a wild part of nature they're just going to let them be so let um, me know i got a 22 little other, pellet rifle i'll take that care of some you know go in and remove them but um but they're nuisance yeah, animals like, and you're you not act- you're allowed to kill them but you're not a re- allowed to relocate them is that true euthanize them um, a nice way by one in the head that's the right way to do right. it <laughs> Louis, now that's totally politically incorrect i just let my dog do them <laughs> No, that's oh, nasty. Piglet has uh, yeah, you just go with a like nice little kills. twenty-two in between the ears, and then they'll. Uh, they have an iguana company. They have an iguana yes. company that comes and removes them, I believe. Let me tell you, there is a company out of Puerto Rico that they make you pay them, and they come in and they do 
Okay. Hundreds of them. And they actually process the meat and they're selling it to the United States okay. for a lot of I money. Need, wow. I, need to, I need to leave a disclaimer here. I'm not going to recommend to anybody that they pull a 22 in their backyard and <laughs> shoot <laughs> an pellet. pellet. You said a 22. Pellet. A pellet gun, pellet. yes. But pellet. a 22 pellet. is not the right thing because when it goes into the other yard. It's not and, a 22 rifle, it's a 22 pellet. Okay, thank you. I feel better. Greg, you're all right with that? Uh, that's sure, what, that's what they do. The job, sure. <laughs> so, Greg, if somebody was actually thinking about bidding out their commercial property and they wanted to reach you, how would they do it? So, uh, we have the our phone number, 561-479-8283, or the website, tropicallandscapesl, for Florida, dot com, or our uh, Facebook page, which is also Tropical Landscape on Facebook. So, um, yeah, one of those three, they can either call, text, uh, email, any of that. Um, check out the website, that kind of thing. What See, is your area? How, how large is you? Uh, how far do you go? I'm sorry? How much do you cover? What's your area coverage? What area do we service? Yes. Uh, Palm Beach County, um, some of Martin County, like the lower end of uh, Martin County, and then um, Broward County. And we... Sometimes go to Miami, Aventura, <laughs> but not too far down into Miami. Though. Nice area. Nice drive. Well, Greg, it's been a pleasure having you. Tell your father we said hello. I wish you the best. Continued success. Louie, you were going to say something. Get rid of the iguanas. Get rid of the iguanas. <laughs> Louie, you, you should let them bid on your property. Those poor iguanas. So, yeah, I'd love to come out and You uh, should let them bid on your property. Check it out. I'm putting you on the spot. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> they're bad, man. They, they, the mango trees don't give that many fruit because they're always eating the, 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 the flowers, mm. and that's, that's the problem. Oh, nice. Okay. Greg, thanks for being here with us. Greatly appreciate it. You're a good man, and we wish you the most success. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Alan. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Greg. When it comes to health coverage, you want solid value from a trustworthy company you can rely on. Florida Blue offers Medicare Advantage plans that can help you get more out of your health coverage. And don't you want more? Call Apple Insurance, your local agency for Florida Blue, at 888-MY-BLUE-8 to have all your Medicare questions answered and learn about different options. Don't settle for less than the value and stability Florida Blue has delivered throughout the state of Florida to Medicare beneficiaries for more than 25 years. Value, security, knowledge, and trust. Blue Medicare from Florida Blue means more. Call Apple Insurance at 888-MY-BLUE-8 today to speak to a licensed agent about your Medicare Advantage options. That's 888-MY-BLUE-8. Apple Insurance and Florida Blue. Call 888-MY-BLUE-8 today. Florida Blue is an independent license of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Good morning. This is Alan, Secret to My Success, and I'm here with the lovely Dawn. Good morning. Good morning, Dawn. How are you? I am fantastic. Good to hear. Louie will be with us any moment. So we have a really cool guest, a gentleman by the name of David Case. Thanks for joining Hello, us. Hello, everybody. Hello, David. So, David, let's talk. You've been a restaurateur for, what, like 60 years now? Well, let's not go that far. Let's try 45. <laughs> wow. I was only kidding. Long 45 enough. years? That's a long time. No, that's a long time. So tell us about some of the restaurants that you have participated, been involved in, where and for how long? In the South Florida market, uh, I opened, well, I, I purchased in 1986 
a restaurant called Strebs in Boynton Beach, Florida. And uh, it was a seafood steak and lobster house, and we did it for approximately 12 years. And unfortunately, during that whole demise, and we have a 65-year-old building, there was two options. And the option was not to rebuild on it. And uh, we decided to go into catering, which fell in very nicely because during the early 90s when Hurricane Andrew hit, we had an opportunity and a contract with FPNL to feed their employees during Hurricane Andrew. And what I thought would be a, a couple-day job ended up being a 38-day job, and we've had breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 1,500 FPL employees, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 38 days. Ended up doing about 85,000 meals with no power. So, so it was quite an undertaking. Let's take a step back. How did you get that contract? Uh, I actually, when I purchased the restaurant, they actually had the contract in place. And for the first five years I had the restaurant, I never got a phone call. And then the first major hurricane happened, and they called me. And that was Hurricane Andrew in 1992? 91. Right? 91, okay. 91, 92, yeah, 92, right. A long time ago. Okay. So it was a, it was a major undertaking, uh, being that um, what we did in sales with FP&L in one day, we were doing in one month in the restaurants. So, so how, how do you them. take a left turn like that? You go from having a cool little restaurant, well-known locally, and you are now servicing or serving how many people for FPL? How many employees? About 4,500 meals a day. 4,500 meals a day. Wow. 85 miles from the restaurant. It wasn't like it was a close endeavor. It was with no power. So it was a uh, an undertaking that uh, uh, took me to my next level of my education. How'd you get there? Because I do have a degree in hospitality management from Florida International University down in Miami. How did you get there? Seriously. You, I mean, going from zero to 4,500. Tell us the story. Uh, well, you, you did a good job on the first day of the one site with 350. And then the next day, you know, a couple of days later, they, they was doing such a good job. They gave me an opportunity to do a second site. And then two days later, they gave me a third site for 650. It adds up real fast. And um, we went from 25 employees to 175 in about four days. Uh, David, the, you told me, David, you told me you told them no first. I did tell them no. I actually thought that uh, uh, we weren't capable of running a restaurant and doing off-premise catering uh, at the same time for that, that size of a group and, and knowing we needed it on a, a daily basis and then uh, playing golf that afternoon. Um, we thought about it and said, yeah, we could probably pull it off. And we did pull it off. And uh, the only thing we worked on and focused on was freshness, quality, and making sure we didn't run out of food. Because can you imagine working all day for 14 hours from sunrise to sunset and telling the guys, sorry, guys, we got no food. And by the way, there was no Publix or anything open within 30 miles of anywhere yeah. because it was completely black down there. So it was, it was an interesting endeavor. How many other vendors had failed before you had gotten in there? About 12 or 14 failed over the period of the first five days. And what they kept on running out of food, showing up late. Uh, quality was not there. It was just one after another. And FPNL kind of stuck to my, stuck to my uh, forefront for the rest of my career. As my career continues on, they said, you screw up one meal, we terminate your contract on the spot. And they meant it. And uh, for right, rightfully so, these guys were, you know, working, uh, getting bussed in from and getting fed before the sun rose. And the minute the sun rose, they were out there in the fields working. And the minute the sun set, they drag them back and we feed them and they go to sleep. And this went on for 
days and days and days. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of people without power. The whole city of Miami pretty much was without power. Wow. So that contract ends, and you're going back to running your restaurant. You went from 4,500 yep. meals a day to how many meals were you to about, at your to about To about 1,000 meals a week. That's a huge so, difference. A huge difference. So uh, my restaurant was a large restaurant. It was about 350 seats. And uh, we were doing catering anyways, but then we started to explore other opportunities and properties. And uh, in 1997, I got an opportunity to open up Boca Dunes Country Club in, in, West, in West Boca. And uh, we actually took over a building that sat empty for 18 years uh, and made it into a catering hall and uh, did, was very successful for about 12 years. And then uh, the recession hit and we had to make some changes on where we were going so that's what the recession had to seem like almost a joke compared to what covid did to your industry covid has been what i would call a nightmare for caterers because and what makes it really kind of uh disheartening is when the president of the united states and the and the people who are saying it is highly advisable not to have large social gatherings you can only imagine what the dagger felt every day in my heart that people were canceling and whatever because they were afraid of the COVID, rightfully so. Uh, we lost approximately 100 events during COVID, the initial hit of COVID. Mm. And we are still trying to recover from it um, two years later. Uh, we're still feeling the after effects. You think about in it. Fact, Any kind of family reunion, a birthday party, everything. heck, a funeral. Seriously, yeah. you Corporate, couldn't have people well, together. Wedding, funerals we we are we have picked up in the funeral business lately uh uh it's actually been uh one of our bright spots is that we are doing a, a fair amount of funerals we're doing between six and eight a month uh they're called repasses the people who celebrate um the culture and uh, they do do large gatherings and they're still gathering of anywhere from 50 to 100 people at this time uh, but it's 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 a nice little last minute business which kind of helps fill in the gaps uh, but it's been a challenge I can tell you uh, we've had a few weddings cancel uh, because half the party's vaccinated and the other half is not and the half that's not vaccinated are not willing to uh, be around the people that are vaccinated do not want to be around people that are vaccinated so they put in the couples in a very compromising position on what to do with the wedding so it's kind of kind of interesting i'm seeing it uh, in, in the world of what's going on out there with this whole vaccination not vaccination thing mm -hmm. david this is louise sorry to jump in a little bit late i was on the call but uh you're in the bathroom you know it i know oh, it man. dawn knows it you were on the call we all know. sorry <laughs> that was the time of the day <laughs> The Listen, um, I used it's to. A um, situation, but we'll get through it. That's a pretty neat little place uh, out there in uh, Madison Green. I really love that place. And uh, how busy are you guys now over there with tournaments and things like that? We do some golf tournaments, uh, but our, our social events, a lot of keen days. We are doing weddings again. The, the wedding market's gone down from the average of 125 to 150 down to about 60 to 70. It seems there's been a, an adjustment of the amount of people that are, are getting married and the size of the groups. I did go to a wedding a couple weeks ago for 280 people, which was very, very interesting to go to. This it seems like we're, we're losing a lot of golf courses down here in South Florida. It seems like there's a whole bunch that are closing. Yeah, we, are, we actually also own the catering company at Inbury Country Club in Waterhill, the old famous Jackie Gleason. 
And that course has been closed for two years, but we still have the clubhouse open for social events. But the golf course industry, uh, the ones that are open are doing well. But here's the interesting thing about a a publicly owned golf course that's owned by an individual. That's the only business that I know around that competes against the government in business. Because if you look at all these parks and recreational golf, you know, the uh, uh, Boca Country Club and you've got uh, Osprey, they're all owned by the county, which means anybody who owns a private golf course, such as Boca Greens and Madison Green or whatever, you're competing against the, uh, the community. You're competing against the, the government, which is kind of fascinating in a way. And it's hot and cold because now every all the snowbirds are down, so the, the golf courses are full. Hard to get a tee time. Places are packed. Yeah, but then golf when May comes and June, July, you know, they're pretty they're pretty dead. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm an avid golfer. I actually got a, a scholarship to play golf at FIU down in Miami, so I'm still an avid golfer. So I get the whole golf scene, and uh, it, it, it's um, the young people today just don't have the time, money, or energy to play golf. So it's a uh, they have to revamp their business and and make it more exciting and and maybe not instead of eighteen holes nine holes and it, it's it's a difficult business at this point. Hey David, I'm, I, I've got to let out a uh, a secret into your industry. It's crazy. So if I go into a location, I tell them that I'm planning a wedding or a bar mitzvah. The menu comes out at 125 bucks a plate and up. But if I tell them I'm doing a family reunion, it looks like my menu's thirty dollars a plate. How do you guys well, get away with that? <laughs> that's funny. That's funny you mentioned that. Uh, yeah, maybe a family union, but we, we have actually all our prices on our website. Uh, but on the bottom of it states very clearly minimum limited dates only, minimum number of people required. Uh, one of the things that brings a lot of weddings to our, our business is that we include the DJ, florist, and photographer into the package. So there's minimum requirements to get that, and it seems to be a great draw because people are looking for the complete package. And uh, it's a big positive for us because uh, we can, we, we, we've done a good job negotiating with our vendors to make sure the bride and groom don't get uh, spend a lot of money where it's not necessary. In 2020, how many events do you think you had to cancel based on uh, COVID and all the government regulations? Probably 150 to 200. Mm-hmm crazy not only did we cancel that we well, who knows how many we lost because of bookings but when i say the phone the only phone call i got from march 15th to may 15th was cancellations there was nobody inquiring for parties literally the industry just died yeah no, i um uh, I, I i started doing a golf tournament for my foundation the first two events i did them at uh, madison green and i kind of moved but uh, I haven't done it in two years because of that. I'm, I'm planning on, on doing another one, start again, and uh, hopefully uh, this thing kind of goes away or it gets reclassified as just the flu, like case of the flu, I guess. But uh, yeah, well, we're, we, you know, I think it will. I think uh, I think it's just people getting educated and understanding what's important and what's not important. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I've lost a few people close to me from COVID, and uh, it's. You know, you still got to take it seriously. It's not, it's not a flu, that's for sure. David, make your case. Tell Louis why he needs to hold the next tournament at your location with you catering it. Well, it's a simple, a simple thing. We make all our food fresh to order. We don't buy anything. Everything's made, made to order. Simple as that. Um, our quality is there, and, and we focus 
the most important customer for the day is the one that's eating at that moment. And that's our philosophy here. I've been here for years. And we've only been here for five years. So it's, uh, uh, I don't know. And uh, we, we've, we do not get complaints on our food because our, we do a tasting uh, here at Madison Green every other month where we invite all potential people who are planning an event to come try the hors d'oeuvres, try some food, and meet our vendors. So it's kind of an educational night as well as the ability to uh, have some great food and, and see what, see how our, our creativity is. What's a typical uh, dinner for a golf event there? Uh, usually it's uh, Jack Daniels barbecue beef. It's um, you know some kind of chicken, whether it's chicken on the bone or chicken marsala or piccata or frances. Uh, a nice pasta salad with a salad, uh, stuff like that. Usually, because they don't want to eat a heavy, heavy meal, because you know they usually got to go home and eat dinner again or lunch. All right, sounds good. Can you tell them that the greens are cleaned up though? The what? The, the greens, greens are in great shape. You hear that? I, I love that course. That, that's a nice course. It's tight. I mean, it's it's challenging. It's a great at track. It's a great track. It's a, it's a beautiful it's, track. It's fun. Yeah, it is. It's. Uh, Again, it's getting pounded every day with 225 golfers, but what are you going to do? David, tell us about the worst customer you ever had. How did you avoid killing them? The worst customer I ever had? Yes. (laughs) The worst customer I ever had was probably the guy. It wasn't the worst customer. It's a funny story. Uh, We had a salad bar, and and we had these gourmet fancy crackers with Melba Toast and gourmet crackers, and the guy decided that he wanted to take a bunch of the crackers and put them in his pocket. So I didn't know what to do. So I went back to my computer and I put $5 pocket charge on the check. And the guy receives the bill and says, what's this? And I says, well, everything in your pocket, we figured you wanted to purchase. So there's $5. And he pulls it out of his pocket and says, these things aren't worth $5. I said, exactly my point. So it was taking a bad situation, making and the couple that was with the other couple were not only mortified, but at the end when they walked out, says that was beautiful. What a great way to tell somebody you're stealing without telling them they're stealing. Yeah. Nice. Did you check her pocketbook to see if she had any dinnerware? No, that was, that's another story I can tell you. <laughs> Glasses. I'll and... tell you one more quick story because it's a funny story because I can tell you stories for hours. We had a round table of 14 and there were some ladies from an elder community and we have we put the sweet and low and the sugars and the creamers on the tables and my ex-wife, maybe she, you know, she's still my ex-wife, but she's still okay. She manages to watch them pocket every sweet and low and sugar, and they managed to ask her for more sweet and low. And my lovely wife said at the time, ask the woman next to you. She's got a pocket full. <laughs> nice. You can't make this stuff up. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just part of the industry. So what do you like about it? What do I like about it? It changes every day. Different. People are different every day. It's funny. Excellent. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the difference. It's not the same mundane thing. You're in the, you're, listen, we're in the party world. The people are here for, for a good time, for a good reason. So the name and of your business? Royal Palm Events. And if somebody and wanted the to... website... Yeah, that was the my next question. Website's royalpalmevents.com. And uh, everything's on there. Uh, our phone number's on there. There's pictures on there. There's prices on there. There's like 40 different packages on there. We can custom make anything you want. Um, and if it was me booking any kind of party today, I'm highly recommending every party except the wedding should be a cocktail party. Interaction, social, don't sit down, no formality, because mm-hmm. people will just sit themselves at a table and won't move the rest of the night. If you do a cocktail party, they can't get forced to sit at the table. So Moving around, socializing. Yeah. Yep. Phone number. 
my phone number is 561-926-1505. 561-926-1505. And your website? Uh, RoyalPalmEvents.com. Fantastic. David, we appreciate you coming on here, sharing some stories, no telling us about your business. David, appreciate we need to talk. I look forward to seeing you guys. Yes, David, David, we need to talk. Thanks. You guys, we'll talk. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Secret to My Success on Legends 100.3.